Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Squiggly Career Podcast. I am Helen Tupper and this week I am not here with my other normal business partner and co-host Sarah. I'm actually here with Tracy Crouch MP. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Um, And I reached out to Tracy in response to a podcast that we did a while ago and also um, some insight that last year one of our most popular podcasts was actually on stress at work. Uh, And when we dug into that a little bit as well, we got onto the topic of loneliness and I think we were really struck by some statistics around loneliness particularly in the context of the workplace and there was some research that was done by Total Jobs and some also research that was done by Relate that said that over half of people at work so 60 I think 62% of people at work identify as feeling lonely at work and over 40% of people say they haven't got a single friend in the workplace and it just feels like something that we keep coming up against our our mission at Amazing If is to make work better for everyone and when we look at how we do that we keep coming up against people feeling lonely at work and when we were researching it we also kept coming across your name Tracy and the role of being the the UK's first minister for loneliness and we were we already have done the podcast on loneliness but it's been such an important thing for us and seeing your role that it just felt like a great opportunity to talk to you about what you spent last year doing in that role what you found out about it anything that we can take from all the insight and the research back to our community to help tackle this problem a little bit in a practical way so how did it come about about the kind of being the UK's and I think the world's first minister for loneliness it was it was the world's first loneliness minister although there is a happiness minister in the uae which i always thought i'd prefer that title um but i'm pretty (laughs) sure the british media wouldn't have tolerated that um but the role came about in truth from the murder of joe cox yeah joe had been talking about loneliness when she first entered parliament and although many of us had talked about loneliness particularly among the older population as members of parliament joe took it to a new level i mean she catapulted the issue into the stratosphere so when she was murdered people got together and the joe cox foundation was born and then a commission out of that was created in order to continue her work on loneliness and from that they issued a report that effectively called on government to produce a strategy but also to have a single minister responsible for loneliness across the whole of government and so I was enormously privileged to be asked by the Prime Minister to be that person. I'd already worked on a number of cross-government initiatives, so felt very comfortable with leading that role but also I had spoken about loneliness from the older 
generation perspective as a backbench MP. So I had a little bit of insight into the work and some of the partnerships that were required. But it was an incredible thing to do. It's an incredible thing to take forward. I always knew that I wouldn't be in role when we solve the yep, issue yep. because it's actually something that is a generational issue. It's incredibly complex. It's in part complex because it's quite a subjective emotion and it's something that you can't just simply point out when you're walking along the street. So, you know, it was a good thing to do. I'm pleased that we managed to get the strategy out within about nine months. That yeah. was really hard work from colleagues across the whole of government. And within that, we looked at various issues within loneliness, such as, for example, in the workforce. And in context of in the workforce, were there any things that really struck you about that research and in the workforce? Well, the first thing to say is that there are lots of different statistics out there that sort of kind of bust the myths about loneliness. So, for example, we always talk about rural loneliness and mm-hmm. potential rural isolation. Actually, the statistics will show that you're more likely to be lonely if you live in an urban environment. The issues around gender were very much busted because we do assume that pensioners over the age of 65 are the lo- most lonely generation. Yeah. Actually, 16 to 24-year-olds present as more lonely than those that does change it over 75 but it's not the sort of kind of early pensioners that are particularly lonely but we also when we were drilling down into some of the statistics around employment sole workers um you know people who are or loan workers are very likely to suffer from loneliness whether they are people who work at home uh, for their job or actually people whose job it is to work alone so for example your delivery drivers your boiler fitters you know your sky technicians those sort of people who actually spend a very large amount of their day alone even though they might be in somebody else's home and there seems to be um i mean I, i don't actually know about the the rise can make an assumption about them. my delivery vans I now see food delivery but if I think about the rise of uh, flexible working the rise of remote working as well that if that is one of the triggers for people to feel more lonely maybe they're moving from more and more conventional I'm going to an office everyday role to one where they may be more home-based and maybe feeling more isolated that could become a growing issue for us, that more and more people who try on that type of work will then potentially feel these types of feelings of loneliness. And and when I looked into it as well, the significance of this was both on an individual's mental health and on the economy as well. So when I looked at the individual's mental health, there was more stress potentially, there was more anxiety, more feeling of being isolated. And I also looked into some of the numbers and the impact on the economy, and that also had a commercial and financial impact as well. So like loneliness... It's not just about the individual. It's also, there's multiple reasons why we need to care about this and try to solve for it. That's very true. Um, We looked at the health consequences of loneliness and people often attribute loneliness to having the same impact on your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day as the equivalents around obesity and diabetes. We know that loneliness, acute loneliness, can cause cognitive behavioural change. And so there's lots of sort of kind of health impacts. We also started to look into the issue around productivity and that Mm. was something that the strategy did recommend to look further into. And to give him his credit, the Chancellor was one of the leading advocates for that particular issue. He is concerned about productivity levels uh, among those that do work by themselves in whatever form that might be. Of course, there are many advantages to home working and flexi working. But one of the disadvantages is that actually you are disconnected from your community, that community being your work 
place. And actually, so you don't have that same level of interaction that you will have if you were by the water cooler yeah. um, or at the photocopier or, or so on. And so I think that there are, well, there are advantages to staying at home, particularly if you're a working mother, for example, or working parent, and therefore you can pick up your children and drop them off and work within that small period of time. What you do lose is that ability to have those connections. One of the things I'm really interested in, both because I think it's a contributor to the problem but also an enabler of the solution is technology so I used to work for Microsoft um, and we had a product called Microsoft Teams which um, is effectively a, a collaboration software so that you could have multiple people talking and you could save your projects and you could share files and you could comment onto it and people could I don't know share emojis and gifts and actually almost personalize interaction in a way that wouldn't necessarily happen over email and I also have contributed to an organization called the Hoxby Collective which is a global network of freelancers and they interact with each other in a similar way using Slack so there are the and there's Facebook workplace and there's Asana and all these other tools that are enabling communities of people to connect around work in a way that isn't just about the work themselves and even though I think technology has partly created the problem because it has is enable people to work in these different ways and maybe introduce some of these challenges and this always-on nature of work that makes you feel potentially a bit more isolated. I also think that maybe used in the right way, some of those collaboration tools could enable some of the connection to happen. That's very true. And actually, you know, when we do look at tech and the role it has to play, they're very much part of that solution in terms of connecting people, whether that's connecting people in a workplace setting or outside of a workplace yeah. setting. And we used some really good tech examples within the loneliness strategy. But you're right, it has also contributed to the rise of loneliness. We see that among the younger population. But, you know, nothing can really beat this kind of face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball contact that you have with somebody in a meeting. And in terms of that creative thinking or the productivity, you know, you just naturally, it's a human emotion to be feeding off each other and to try and um, drive that creativity or the productivity and what it is that you're trying to achieve. So in the workplace, in addition to people potentially changing their traditional format of work, so I no longer come into the office five days a week and sit at the same desk five days a week, and maybe because I work from home or I'm not in an established team every day, I don't have some of those bonds that I used to have that made me feel like I belonged. In addition to that, do you think there were any other triggers or did the research show any other triggers in the workplace that then prompt loneliness I saw um, some research that I think it might have been an interview that Joe Cox was herself in and she was talking about when she returned to work post maternity leave that she, it was a trigger for her for feeling lonely did it get into any of those areas well certainly the strategy was really about setting the direction for the next 10 years or so as to how we tackle that and certainly we recognize that workplaces evolve very quickly and in my time in maternity leave we were still in the European Union when I came back we'd had the referendum and we were planning to leave so you know a lot can change (laughs) in a very short period of time and here's a baby to to boot um but um You know, a lot can change in in a very short period of time and you can feel quite disconnected from your colleagues because friendship circles change, um, project management changes, people leave or they've, you know, their circumstances, their personal circumstances have changed and you've missed that and, and everything else. And I think so because we evolve so quickly 
in part because technology allows us to do so, mm. you know, you can suddenly feel quite disconnected and isolated from uh, your colleagues, from your workplace. And so actually what we want to see is how do people do that well while still respecting some of the boundaries that you have to have, for example, when you're on maternity leave or yes. paternity leave. And so, um, you know, there's a lot that we need to do. Employers are very much at the heart of tackling loneliness. We got a whole load of employers to sign up to an employer's pledge as part of the strategy to effectively look at their workforce, see how they can support their workforce. We're doing a lot as a country, as a nation, in terms of supporting people with their mental health and well-being. So it's really a kind of further extension to that. That works incredibly well if you're a big business. Yes. It's much harder if you're an SME, which obviously builds up you yeah, know, the majority, the of, majority the... of businesses. Um, so it's kind of like, how do you kind of reflect the different challenges that you face as a business while also gently persuading them or encouraging them that actually looking after or inquiring about loneliness as part of a, a well-being focus is going to increase or improve their productivity within that workforce. And I think my own experience is for some people it's such a loneliness and contributing to mental health feels like a sensitive area for some people to have a conversation about so they just don't have the conversation because they think oh I don't know how to solve this for the person I think that's changing I genuinely think that's changing I think where where we are on loneliness is where we were on mental health 10 years ago yeah and I think we've seen such huge campaigns around reducing the stigma around mental health yes yes. um that people are a lot more sympathetic towards having these conversations. Many of us will know somebody who has suffered from a form of mental health condition, whether it's in our personal lives or in our uh, working lives or in our wider friendship circle. And so I think that actually having a better understanding of mental well-being, seeing some of the negative outcomes of having poor mental health, how we can perhaps have uh, discussions around preventative or sympathetic kind of measures to ensure that you have a a wealth workforce, I think is a good step on mental health. Now, if we can extend that to also include loneliness, then I think then um, we are in good stead for the future. On the pledge that you mentioned, because I think one thing I was reflecting on was, should we hold organisations more accountable for the fact that the majority of individuals' time is spent in the workplace and therefore if the workplace is having a negative impact on how much belonging people feel and that triggers mental health challenges, should we not have visibility and hold companies to account do you think the pledge is in a positive commitment that people are making I think I may be talking about a less about a positive commitment and more about some visibility in the way in the same way that you'd have the the gender pay reporting like actually have some mental health reporting for companies I mean I have mixed views on that because I think it is really important that it is a positive commitment and not a tick box exercise and I think sometimes you know in the past where we've seen government you know insist on things example environmental reporting it doesn't necessarily have a huge impact yeah. on um a positive, know, change. A positive change it's actually something that people do without having any recognition for doing it and and actually I don't really want to set a structure or rather you know we in government <laughs> didn't want to set a structure for employers because there's so much diversity in the in our employment sort of kind of workforce so it wouldn't be right to say you big FTSE company do X, Y, Z and then expect an SME yes. to do the same. Yeah. So, and, you know, we want businesses to get on and be good employers because they want to be good employers, not because they're being marked or measured yeah. on it. 
And my view is, is if you're a good employer who cares about its workforce, your workforce will respond positively to you and you, as the employer, will presumably gain from that. So, and so it's more about the case studies and the evidence of organisations that are putting positive practices in place and then seeing benefits, whether that's retention or productivity or creativity and innovation, whatever those you know, positive outcomes are. It's more from your perspective about curating that insight into case studies that we can share and educate organisations, whether they're a large corporate or an SME that would work. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So we've just had a slight room change because it's a busy day in Parliament today. We're in somewhere called Portcullis House and uh, we are in the midst of lots of uh, probably Brexit meetings and conversations. And so it's busy. So we just changed rooms if it sounds slightly different. And um, we were just before the change room, Tracy and I were just talking about um, examples of organisations that might be other companies or people could look to for some things that they're doing well. Are there any that spring to mind or anywhere I could point people to? Well, certainly in the loneliness strategy, we hosted a whole load of case studies um, of really good practice. I mean, there are some good examples. For example, the co-op are very good at helping people transition out of work into retirement. Um, So if you think about back to your days of returning after maternity leave, where you have your sort of kind of reintroduction to the workplace, this is the complete opposite. This is sort of kind of re, this is an introduction into retirement. So, which I actually think is a genius idea because goodness knows what I'd be like if I one week I'm as busy as I am now and the next week I'm doing nothing for the rest of my life I just think that I would find that incredibly isolating but you know there was lots of good examples of people who were trying to support their staff one way or another through better well-being Mm -hmm. um, management and and so on they're quite often the bigger businesses that can afford to do that personal occupational health type services Um, Whitehall, um, so the civil service and the, and the departments are rather good at looking after their workforce um, and have lots of ways of trying to 
keep people within teams connected or make sure that they're opened up to wider teams. So my own team in the Department of Culture, Media and Sport quite often had what they called Fizz Friday. I was actually rather disappointed to find out there wasn't much fizz involved. <laughs> um, but um, it was effectively you down tools at four o'clock and you spend the next or last hour of, of the working day effectively bonding as a team, which I thought was a rather nice way of keeping people involved, you know, yes, no longer yep. just actually meeting because you have to have a meeting and actually meeting because you want to talk to people. And actually creating some time within work so it doesn't become another thing you have to do on top of on top of the working day to do it. I've just been with, um, with a team in Barclays before I was coming to meet you, talking to them about careers, and it was because they'd launched a new team that were looking at um, social activities and sort of a team within the team to connect people up and, and create some of that bonds, and it, they were looking at social activities learning and development and well-being um, and what I quite liked was in that large team they'd got a couple of people that were heading up each stream who were putting ideas together and they'd canvassed ideas and part of the social things they had like coffee tasting because it's not everybody wants to drink at work so they had like um, a coffee tasting thing they had art gallery trips that they were going to put on and some of it was as long as work gave them permission to have some of that time then some of that stuff didn't actually cost money so I do think that there's an opportunity for small companies to look to some of the things larger companies might be doing and apply some creativity so that it's not a, a cost well one of the things that actually infuriates me within the workforce and thankfully my own team here do not do it uh, but it's people eating at their desks at lunchtime yeah. because people don't go off to a canteen or to a coffee shop or wherever to have their lunch they have the sandwiches at their desk carrying on working and it's not healthy in a physical sense, but it's also not healthy in a mental sense and it doesn't create connections yep. with your colleagues. And so actually, even if it's just 15 minutes, taking time out to go and have a cup of coffee away from your desk, have a conversation, doesn't have to be about work, yeah. um, I think is something that's beneficial for everybody. I agree. And I think that... Um... Sometimes you have to role model that behaviour. I am not always a great advocate of it. It's not because I want to role model the opposite by any means. I don't want to encourage people to do it. But I sometimes, particularly when I was in corporate life, I'd only get about sort of five, ten minutes at my desk because I'd be going like meeting to meeting. And sometimes it would sort of be my head down email time. But then I was very aware of the ripples that that might create for my team members if they saw, oh, Helen's not having a lunch therefore is that the right thing there's a quote that and um, Sarah and I both like about you know be aware of the shadow that you cast and I think with it, little things they seem like small things but actually if your team then thinks that that doesn't create permission for them to go and have you know half an hour 45 minute lunch then you're just not creating a great environment um so in preparation of the podcast I was thinking um about times in my career when I felt lonely you know we were talking about what triggers might there be for loneliness and I think I didn't experience the return to work after uh, children trigger of loneliness when I think I have felt my most lonely at work has been when I started a new role in a new company probably and I felt like I didn't have any established um, relationships there. People didn't know me or what I stood for and I was trying to prove myself. And I think in those moments, that has felt like a lonely time for me. And do I fit here? Do I not fit here? And I think what helped me 
I think about it consciously. I had some coaching as when I moved from Virgin to Microsoft, I had some coaching with somebody and he talked to me about what is it that you want to be known for and what can you do in the early days so that can help you to build your brand. And so I think what helped me was moving consciously into new roles, thinking about some of those things, like what's the impact that I want to make? What do I want to be known for? So I felt like I had a little bit of a a rudder during those first couple of months when it's a little bit uncertain. Um, I don't know much about being an MP, but I can imagine that, there are times in your role where it's quite lonely because you're having to stand up for things that not everyone might support you in. I mean, I presume your constituents do and all kinds of things. How does loneliness show up in your profession and your role and for you personally, or, or does it? So not for me personally, but I do know colleagues that are incredibly lonely. This place is a very odd place to work. We are effectively all considered self-employed, mm. even though we're clearly part of a wider team and um, we're all PAYE so technically we're not but um, we have some very odd structures in place we all run our offices very differently we all employ our own uh, staff and so on but for me I've got a very close group of friends and um, we've all been on a relatively similar journey in terms of our career progression although I've taken a step back compared to them uh, by heading back to the backbenches but I know colleagues here who are desperately lonely you I don't think people fully understand that you know we leave our families behind when we come in to work on a Monday and for the most of us I would say probably two-thirds of us our families are at home in our constituencies so you know we are here very long hours and if you are not part of a of a group of friends um, you can quite often be sat in your in your office by yourself after your team have gone for very, very long periods of time. Some of us stay in hotels, some of us stay in flats. Yeah. Um, many people stay by themselves in their flats, they don't share. Um, so it can be quite an isolating experience. If you come in at a different time to everybody else, so if, for example, you enter in a by-election, you don't have that camaraderie that you normally have yeah, if no, you come in that. as a large cohort. Um, so I came in into Parliament in 2010. We were a very large group of MPs that came in in 2010, and therefore you have something in common with yeah. all of those. But if you're a by-election MP... You have nobody to talk to. You don't have the same level of support that you get in a group entry. So it is incredibly challenging. You see lots of people who do struggle with loneliness and that in turn can have a negative impact on their mental well-being or indeed their physical health because unfortunately in this place you can easily turn to alcohol to yeah. fill yeah. your evenings. So I think it is worrying. We've got better in Parliament about helping and supporting people with poor mental health or physical health, but I don't think we've quite nailed the loneliness uh, side of things yet. It's interesting as well, you're talking about having the the friends and that stat that I was talking about, I think it was relate with the um, 42% or 40% of people said that they haven't got a, a single friend at work. On an individual level, as I feel like we talked about from an organisational level, there's some things that they can do and we can look to people like the co-op and maybe Whitehall and take some inspiration and go look at the report and kind of see things there. Um, on an individual level, do you think human to human that there's more that we could be doing in the workplace to spot and support loneliness? I do, I do. And I think actually one of the things about friendship groups in this place is that actually many people are competing with other colleagues. Mm. So it's not like in a corporate world where perhaps you're not necessarily 
competing to get to the very top. You know, it's yeah. still competitive and you all want the you know biggest bonus or the yeah. you know the promotion or what have you. But everything is a competition in here. And I think that can be quite damaging to those friendship circles, which is why I feel very lucky because I've got a group of friends who have the same outlook on like competition and life empowerment as I do. Yeah. Um, and actually one of the things that we do spend a lot of time about is talking about things outside of Parliament, which is quite nice, um, particularly at the moment. So I think that there is definitely more that we can do. I do actually take a bit of a pride in the fact that I do talk to a lot of colleagues about different things. I think that my mental health first aid is quite good. Um, I think I've been able to identify a few colleagues that I think are extraordinarily lonely and just have a chat with them. And and actually actually spot it and have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. How are you? Should we go grab a coffee and maybe get some air outside of the office? And and I, I, I think that's really important. I think actually it's just a case of just saying, are you all right? Do you fancy coffee? And it may well take half an hour of your day that you can't afford to give because you're very busy, but it is worth it in terms of supporting other people. And you would hope that if you were in the same position, somebody would support you. So, you know, I do really like to treat others in the way that I would like to be treated. And so I think it is important that we all do take that individual responsibility. I don't see why we should lecture people come Christmas time to say, you know, make sure you check on your elderly neighbours, make sure that they're okay, and uh, or you know, tell people that in order to be a good community citizen, that they should knock on the, the occasional door of you know Roy down at eighty four. Yeah. When actually in our own workplace, where we spend the majority of our time, we're not doing the same. Yeah. Um, so I think that yeah, we all have a role to play in this. I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's a really nice place, I think, to end it on that idea that actually we've all got a role to play. We've all got a role to play in, in work every day. I was reading something a while ago and it said that instead of flippantly saying to someone, are you okay? You know, that kind of, it's very, so easy to be saying, oh, hi, Tracy, okay, move on quickly before you've even had a chance to respond or me to listen. But just to add the, hi, Tracy, are you okay today? That to making it about today and in that moment and then obviously giving someone the respect of your time to listen to that response can also be a powerful way to open up those conversations. So the last thing I was going to say was that I know that you've now moved on from that role at the end of last year and I think it was a... Uh, when I was looking into you kind of moving on from that role, it was because that you were taking a stand for something that you believed in around, I think it was fixed odds uh, betting terminals and the rates of them and took a real kind of stand that that was something that was important to you and your constituents. I read about it and I really admired it because I thought I imagined that that must have been a difficult decision. I know it had wider contributions than just being loneliness minister. But so that role has now moved on to somebody else who's picking up, I think, is it Mims Davis is now picking up That's that right, work? yeah, Mims. Was that hard to, to have it for the year? Was that always your intention? No, it was never my intention yeah. to leave. Um, but um, yeah, it was really challenging to leave what I thought was the best job in government. Yes. Um, and it can be very difficult because you go from being an incredibly busy uh, minister to a slightly less busy backbench MP. And when you're a minister, you have a very structured life, very structured role. And you know you lose some of that structure when you go back to being a backbench MP. But Whitehall, the civil service government, you know, moves very efficiently on and it is designed to kind of pass the baton smoothly yes. uh, into a new person's uh, role. And Mims has picked up that role. I still 
find it quite hard to watch somebody else do speeches and, you know, events that um, I would have been at if it wasn't for the circumstances that I resigned in. But but it's such an important agenda that you have to put that aside and just hope that government is continuing with that agenda, which I believe they are. I, I think you could... I could imagine it because I could see your passion in a lot of what I was reading about and that's come up repeatedly and in stalking you a little bit on Twitter and seeing... <laughs> I, could, I could see the passion and I thought, that must have been a wrench. And I thank you, post-role, for doing this podcast and sharing because I think it's a fascinating role. I think it's a really important continuation of Joe Cox's work and I want to make sure that we can raise attention of it so that people understand that it's totally acceptable to talk about that people can open conversations and they can spot loneliness and that's probably one of the most effective things that we can do in the workplace and that it's part of a small way in which we can all make work better for everyone so Thank you very, very much for your time today. I know it's a busy time for you and much, much appreciated. So that is the end of the episode this week, everybody. We'll be back again, Sarah and I, next week. And I'll put all the links, I'll put the links to the report, any other places that I can try and point you to for this topic and also the previous podcasts that we've done on stress and loneliness. I'll put those on um, amazingif.com. So make sure that you head there and you can get all the information and links that you need. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. I'll be back with you soon. Bye. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.